Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Ben Collins, the Google Sheets developer and data analytics instructor who's turned his blog and online courses into a six-figure business over the past year. Originally from the UK, where he received a master's degree in mathematics and served briefly in the Royal Navy, Ben's lived much of his adult life in the US, where he's held a few steady day jobs as a forensic accountant, helping firms to do everything from audit their financial transactions to investigating money laundering and abuse of corporate expense claims. It wasn't until just a few years ago when Ben both signed up for a web development class and became a data analytics instructor at his local general assembly that he got the spark to begin working on building his own blog. After teaching data analysis at GA for about a year, he took his learnings about what it takes to build the course curriculum and started applying that to a niche he saw a lot of growth potential in with his blog. Google Sheets training courses. Now, Ben works full-time on his blog and courses where he helps people build practical skills and learn techniques to be highly productive with Google Sheets. In this episode, Ben and I talk about how he identified the niche opportunity in building a blog and course business around the topic of Google Sheets. We dig into the specifics of a $75,000 course launch, including the lead-up prep work and email sequences he used to promote his course to his growing email list. We cover the ways Ben determines price points for his courses, other revenue streams he's exploring from his blog, how he's built an email list of more than 25,000 subscribers, and more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Ben Collins. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, I am always excited to chat with fellow course creators, um, and you've been able to achieve some pretty impressive figures with your recent launches. Um, so I'm expecting to learn a thing or two here myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Well, first, I want to start back at the beginning for you. Uh, so Ben, where are you originally from? So I'm from England. Uh, I've been in the northwest of England near Liverpool, and my journey took me down to London after college, and then... That job I had in London had an opening in Washington, D.C., so I came to the U.S. about eight years ago. Thought I'd come over for you know a couple of years, um, but met somebody who became my wife, and now I'm still here today with, with two kids and <laughs> living about an hour outside of D.C. These unpredictable things that end up charting the course of life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Can you remember back to uh, you know, the very first, say, side project or business um, you worked on for yourself? whether I was a kid or maybe young adult? Um, so I did uh, tennis coaching when I was a kid over my summers. Yeah. Um, so I guess that was probably the first sort of side hustle thing, I guess, if you like, yeah, that wasn't sort of organized by school um, back, back in the day. Uh, and then at college, I did some math tutoring uh, in, my, in my final year, helping the, the new um, undergraduates, um, so tutoring them for a year or so during college time. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, is it safe to say that both of those kind of sprung out of your own personal interest in the field as well? Yeah, definitely. And also just, it's interesting now talking to you about this, that there's, there's this been this theme of teaching, I guess, through my life because my, <laughs> my mom is from a teaching background and I think it just, my personality uh, matches up quite well with enjoying, you know, taking the time to, to explain things to people. And, and I'm a pretty patient person, I've been told, I think, which is, you know, why the teaching appeals to me. Uh, and I think I can just see now from even just chatting to you that those two early examples of both teaching 
related. So maybe we're having this realization together, but as you just said that, I, I kind of realized, wow, uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a teacher at one point in time. My stepdad was a teacher. Um, maybe I'm in the same boat and I never realized yes. it. <laughs> in the family blood. There we go. <laughs> All right. So Ben, um, after you get your master's degree, um, mathematics still in the UK here, um, it looks like you spent a year and a half in the Royal Navy. What motivated you to join the service? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've had a very bit of a roundabout career and I love the outdoors, absolutely love it. Sort of my big passion outside of, you know, uh, anything tech and online and things. And so back at college, uh, you know, I wanted a job that was not putting me in an office environment because I thought that would just not be the right place for me. And so the Navy appealed from the sense I'd get to travel around the world and adventure and, uh, you know, and, and do something different. Um, so I did it for a while, uh, but ultimately, I think both we both realized that the fit wasn't there. Um, I liked the travel and the adventure side, but I wasn't so good at the the rest of the Navy stuff. Um, so, you know, did that for a, for a while, but didn't work out. And yeah, the fallback option then was was going and getting a fairly regular corporate job in uh, in the accounting in an accounting job. Yeah. Well, it's nice that you had kind of the, the self-awareness to notice early on that, hey, this, this career path is probably not going to be for me and you. I mean, wow, did you make a, a turn in a different direction? <laughs> yeah, I know. Talk about it. So yeah, the, the, in the, certainly in the UK, when I was there anyway, the first year and a bit was sort of like this grace period where if it wasn't a good fit for both parties, you could hand in notice like a regular job. Uh, and I was, but I was approaching that point where you, you sort of then sign on for five years. And I just knew in my heart that it wasn't right. And so, uh, you know, having a math background though, the next natural thing was to go into finance, uh, in some sort of finance field. So I followed most of my mates and my brother from, from uh, university down to London. And yeah, that's ended up in a, in a corporate job. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And it was, uh, so I just, you know, kind of perusing your LinkedIn profile. Um, I had never personally heard of uh, the job forensic accounting. So could you walk us through like kind of, a, you know, what a day in the life of a forensic accountant looks like? <laughs> so I don't, there was a movie recently called The Accountant, I think, that was about oh, yeah. accounting. And he was, I can't remember, he was undercover accountant for the mob bosses, but also an undercover you know, agent or whatever. And I, uh -huh. I want to say it was a little bit like that. <laughs> but, uh, I didn't meet <laughs> any more machine guns. <laughs> um, didn't have any machine guns. Didn't, didn't um, jump out of a plane with a parachute or anything like that. Um, it was mostly just data analysis actually. And that's kind of, so in a way it was great because that's what led me to where I am today because, you know, I started spending uh, all my time in Excel building uh, or doing data analysis, building models, building dashboards and, that led to SQL, that led to Tableau, and really starting to enjoy the technical side of things and realizing that there was, uh, you know, a huge field out there called data analysis that, you know, that I loved. And so that eventually that's where I led me to where I am today. Yeah. And so that kind of brings me to the, to the next part of this interview is that, you know, I noticed you started teaching classes and everything you just mentioned, you know, data analysis, SQL, um, all these kinds of skills that you had been learning for the past decade um, at General Assembly, you began teaching a few years ago. So how did you sort of like get a foot in the door at GA? Was that kind of your, your first foray into like more formalized teaching of these skills? Yeah, that's right. That, so I was still working the corporate job um, back in 
2014. And 2014 was sort of a bit of the turning year because I knew I had to make a change. I was really um, pretty unhappy in the job. Um, I was working long, long hours doing the accounting and I really enjoyed the technical stuff, but not the accounting. And so I got married that year. And um, so a lot of big changes and I just left that corporate job. And I did, I had one, um, my first idea, actually, we can just quickly talk about this because it's probably interesting, was um, to do a paid newsletter for the forensic accounting industry. And I probably spent sort of a couple of months working on this before I just woke up one morning and I sort of looked at my wife and said, I just can't do this. I'm, I just don't have the passion for this industry at all. <laughs> uh, and it was good because I, I stopped right before I got, you know, I'd put too much into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, so then from there, I, um, I actually started helping uh, my wife with some Google Sheets stuff for her business. And I found, you know, actually, this is a pretty interesting product. A lot of the Excel stuff I'd learned transfers straight across. And I, so I started this blog writing about um, Google Sheets, about SQL, about Tableau. And my aim back then was to become a web developer. So I took a course with General Assembly, one of their part-time courses. And so that's how we got to know the General Assembly crowd in DC, got to know all of the, the support staff. And then when they found out my, about my background and they were launching this data analysis course, this part-time data analysis course, they, uh, we just sort of got in touch and one thing led to another and I went and taught um, three iterations of that course in 2015 and 16. Was that so a full-time yeah, course or part-time? Uh, that was a part-time, so two evenings a week plus an office hours. Uh, but it, it was quite a lot of work actually. There was... Um, you know, a lot of course prep and lesson prep and things. Um, it got easier as you, as I've been doing it for longer. But that was really fun, really, really fun, actually. Uh, learned a lot about teaching, a lot about teaching, specifically teaching data analysis in Excel and SQL. Um, so, again, that was another big piece that contributed to where I am today. Yeah. I've gone in and spoken at General Assembly here in San Francisco a few times. Um, I haven't actually taught a real class or attended one, but... Um, I remember talking with them at one point about uh, potentially doing a class and there were, there were a bunch of different like teaching styles you could take where, you know, you would create the curriculum yourself um, or they would work with you to create the curriculum. So were you kind of doing like the, the create it yourself or working with them on curriculum? Yeah, so it was, um, the curriculum was there, but they, they were sort of ex um, encouraging us to bring our own experience to that. So uh, there was another teacher who had just done the first iteration before I started who was quite instrumental in sort of fleshing out the DC syllabus. And then I came in and I added my own twist to certain things for that second course I taught. Um, so it, it did evolve a little bit from the, from the blueprint that General Assembly started with. Yeah, and the other interesting thing actually, just what, what, touching on what you mentioned there, was they were very, very um, hot on teaching styles in the classroom and thinking about it rather than just going in and standing up and just talking for an hour in front of the projector. They were very much, you know, how can we involve the class and flipped classrooms and, uh, you know, testing the knowledge. And uh, they were really, really on top of all that kind of stuff. So I le actually learned a lot of the um, pedagogy. I, I never quite know how to say that word, mm -hmm. but the teaching styles. Um, so that was, again, you know, I, I learned a huge amount doing that through that General Assembly um, experience. I like that. And this seems like also kind of the perfect way to, to test yourself into uh, potentially doing your own courses one day too. Like just kind of, you know, always easier to connect the dots in hindsight, right? But I, I yeah. had another guest on the podcast recently um, who teaches online courses today, but he originally got his start 
doing these kind of in-person things, General Assembly or like, you know, partnering with a WeWork space to host events for their members, things like that kind of led one thing to another. And this makes a lot of sense for me. Absolutely. And I, th- I think you're right. I don't think it was, you know, I, I definitely didn't think, okay, I'm going to do this General Assembly because it will then set me up to do this and then set me up to do that. You know, it was just a fantastic opportunity. Um, and I, for, for, for the longest time, I've been following all of the Excel bloggers and there's a whole sort of cottage industry around Microsoft Excel with courses and consulting and add-ons and all this sort of stuff. And so, and there really wasn't much for Google Sheets. So I knew that one day I'd, I'd be interested in creating, you know, an online course potentially. Yeah. Uh, and so, opportunity. At what yeah, point so, in time did you start to think about that, creating your own course? So in, in 2016, I started to uh, jot down some thoughts in early 2016. Probably midway through, I started to actually flesh out um, some of the examples that would go into the course. And it was all about dashboards in Google Sheets. Um, and then sort of started recording at the end of 2016. Awesome. It looks like since, you know, since then, um, you've released eight different courses. Does that sound about right? Or at least eight that I can still see? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's about eight because, and I say about one, I should know, <laughs> I should know, but, um, you know, some of, I've, I've, one of the ones I created, I now split into two because it really was sort of two separate courses. Some of the other ones have been um, shut down and, and swept up inside other ones. And then I've got one that's an open close, so it's not publicly showing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, but right now it's about eight. Yeah. How do you research and then, you know, decide on a topic for something that, that should become a full-on course versus, say, just like a how-to article? Yeah, great question. And uh, I guess a lot of it's just built on the experience I've gained over, uh, you know, those sort of seven or eight years working as an accountant with Excel. So there's that component that gave me insight into what we do with spreadsheets. But then also, um, you know, seeing what other courses are out there. So seeing what General Assembly taught, seeing what um, these other Excel bloggers are putting out, what other Google Sheets courses even that are out there. And really, what I've done so far is, is fairly mainstream, if you like. We've, I've covered dashboards, data analysis, um, and then some automation and coding now. So it's all kind of stuff that, not, it's nothing sort of groundbreaking in terms of the topics. It's stuff that we all just need to know as knowledge workers. Um, you know, and I'm just, so all I'm trying to do is bring my own slant to that and also specifically make it um, applicable to, to Google Sheets and G Suite products. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's smart. Um, so talking about pricing now, your courses range in price, um, quite a lot, actually. There's some free ones that I assume are a little bit more like, um, kind of lead magnet style. Um, some courses are $50 once you apply a discount. Um, some are three fifty. Um, you know, how do you personally go about setting a, a price point for a course? Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of just lick my finger and stick it in the air and see which way, the way the wind is blowing. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a hard topic actually. And, uh, you know, I think about how much, there's two ways to approach it. I think I can think about how much effort I've put into the course in terms of like, oh, that one took me 100 hours or 200 hours or whatever. And then there's also, okay, what's the value that the students are going to get for their own business or their own work? Mm-hmm. And so to taking into account a little bit of both of those factors. Uh, and so usually the, the higher priced courses will, will be just score higher on both of those metrics. So they will have taken me a bit longer They'll be more in depth, and then hopefully also uh, they'll they'll sway more towards solving business problems than being just purely here's how to learn a skill. <clears throat> yeah. So I think that's how I so that pushes me up towards the um, the pricing. 
the other thing to say is it's always, um, you know, it's just one big experiment that's always ongoing. I'm not sure that, you, you know, you'll ever know what the exact perfect price point is. And I think it's just important to, to keep trying sort of different things, maybe to see if you can get closer to what the ideal price point is for your audience. Um, and then also, as you, you know, as you do build up an audience, you, you sort of accustom them a little bit to a certain, you know, this is what I do and this is roughly what it might cost you. So if you suddenly, uh, you know, if you've been putting out courses on Udemy for 5 or $10 a pop, and then suddenly come in with a $2,000 top line course, it might, it's going to be a hard jump for that audience to make. Um, so, you know, it's something to think about both from the short term and long term perspective, I think. Yeah, that audience conditioning is really important. Um, have you ever thought about doing courses on some of the, you know, larger marketplace sites like Udemy? I did initially before I even really launched that first one, actually. Uh, the big one of the big questions I was wrestling with was whether to go with Udemy, which was my initial thought because it's the only one I knew about. And then I heard about all these other places where, you know, you were they were your students rather than so. The, the distinction is that on Udemy, uh, you create the course, put it onto the Udemy platform, and communicate through this, to the students through Udemy. And so, and and also, you know, Udemy has a certain amount of control over the pricing if you want to be in inside of their marketing pipeline. So they can offer these discount sales at um, very, very low prices. And the more and more I thought about it and the more research I did, if, you know, I thought maybe that in the short term might get you more students because you might, you know, you'll benefit from their own marketplace. But long term, if you really, if I want to make a business out of this, I need to build my own audience that's platform agnostic so that, you know, I can communicate with them and sell them other things or communicate them with them to, to build a community. I'm not just trying to sell courses. I want to build a community that, you know, appreciates the work and things. So ultimately I decided to, to go with a, with a platform called Teachable that don't do any of the marketing at all. They just host your course and it's up to you then to build out that, the marketing side of things. Uh, so, but it's been great. You know, it's, it's, it's working well for me so far. <laughs> yeah, and I know. Uh, gosh, I would say somewhere between ten to twenty people that that have done courses on Udemy, in particular, um, and maybe one of those people out of the ten to twenty uh, still does them today. You know, it's kind of interesting to see their their experiences. Usually, that like you know, having one course or maybe two courses on there can be a pretty good lead magnet um, for your other courses that you have on your own website that are at a more kind of controlled price point because you're right, Udemy, Udemy does these crazy flash sales where, you know, even if your course is say $199, 200 bucks, um, it might be on sale for $9 during their big sale periods. So Yeah, exactly. That, that was the thing that really just, I just thought, like, I don't want to put all this effort into building this fantastic course and then get five bucks to take for it when I get a sign up because you have to sell so many to make that, you know, a viable long-term plan and you know there are certainly people and a good number of people who make a decent income from Udemy but I think a lot of people uh, you know the only sales they make are through the flash sales maybe or you know they never get to making an income that's enough to make a living or a a sizable chunk of their income so so Ben let's talk course launches Um, I, I I assume it's for your most premium course that you do kind of that open and close model does that sound right that's right so the there's all the courses that I've done for Google Sheets to date are 
So I'll, I'll launch it and I'll do a promotion for a week with a special price. And then it's just, that's it. It's available at any time. And for the app script, because I felt it was more of a business focused course, it was a, more in-depth topics. And, um, you know, I wanted to try this open close cars idea. And, and, and then I could also really make sure the course was banged up to date. It, I could go through a cohort and then, you know, I've got a bunch of ideas to improve the course when I do the next launch in September. So, so that was kind of the reasoning. And so, yeah, I did the first open close launch of the, of the premium app script course and app script is a coding language. So just to mm-hmm. fill that gap there. So that one was back in end of April this year. Okay. And as a ballpark figure, um, how much revenue would you say you generated from that most recent launch? So that launch brought in about $75,000. Um, so that, and, you know, that was, that was a really good launch for me. Yeah, I'd say that's a good launch for anyone <laughs> with the course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I sort of, it was interesting because I, you know, I needed to, I've gone all in on the courses. And so I needed to see, you know, I needed to see some progress, obviously, from 12 months ago when I did a data analysis course launch. And, you know, there has been progress. So that's been really nice to see. Are you monetizing your blog in any other ways aside from courses right now? I get a small amount of affiliate income through the blog. Uh, it's just probably a few thousand dollars a year. So not, not much. Um, but that's something I might, I might do more of in the future, actually. Test more ways to, to monetize. Yeah, but I also am conscious of the fact that I'm just, it's just me at the moment. I have a few contractors I work with for certain things like graphics and stuff, um, but all of the content is just purely coming from me. So there's only a certain amount I can do in the day, especially with young kids at the moment. <laughs> and exactly. so um, I'm trying not to get, do too many things at once, but for now, the courses are the big thing. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, going back to what I just said a moment ago, I did that launch 12 months ago, approximately the data analysis launch. And the launch, you know, it did well. And I, what I did is right at the end of that launch, I did a, a debrief, um, you know, with myself and a few other people I talked to and came out with a list of 12 things to do to make the next launch. You know, I set an ambitious goal and did 12 things to try and get there. And I think I hit 11 of them, nice. uh, you know, and then the, the, yeah, the launch did far better for that. <laughs> Is that it like an internal checklist you have or is that something you published publicly where others can can kind of like read about it and gather some insights from? It's all internal at the moment and I do this for every launch actually. I, do, I have a, or all of the more recent ones rather, I have a, a document building up to it that's, you know, what I'm aiming to do if you like and the plan and then a document afterwards that's the debrief. And yeah, maybe I, I should, I should try and gather them all together into a blog post or an ebook or something. Um, but yeah. I can tell you, I mean, I, I can read that. Yeah a few of them. <laughs> um, it was things like, you know, if I can increase my conversion rate just by half a percent or something, then, you know, that results in an extra and whatever the metric was. And then I, if I can get another 5,000 email subscribers between now and then, I'll, that'll increase, that'll be an extra bump on the revenue. And I just sort of went through a bunch of things. Um, so the course last year, I experimented with opening it from a Friday to a Wednesday or something like that. Just sort of, I'd heard some people had a lot of success with that. And I don't think it worked great for me because my course, my audience is primarily people at work, you know, in the office. So the weekend is a slower day, slower weekend, slower time for me. So one of the, one of the bullet points was, you know, do the, do the usual Monday to Friday open and close uh, rather than try and get over the weekend sort of thing. Um, yeah. I like that. I like the idea of doing a debrief on after a launch of any type, really. I mean, it helps you, <clears throat> Realize what you should focus on for round two. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's not, it's something I didn't do much of initially. I would always just be racing straight into the next thing. 
And as I've done this longer and longer, I've just started to try and focus more on, you know, how can I maximize exactly what I'm doing right now or maximize the content I have right now rather than just rushing off to do more and more and more. Otherwise, you sort of, you're just on this treadmill and you'll just, you know, never make it go any faster, really. So I think just sitting down and saying, okay, what worked, what didn't work, um, what would it look like if, if my conversion rate had been 2% instead of 1.5% or, or whatever. And then, and then you think, okay, well, if I can get from 1.5 to 2% conversion rate on my email list, you know, that's going to result in, you know, however many thousands more revenue or something, then you can really think, okay, how can I do that? And then you can, mm-hmm. you can look at all the things you did and say, what could I do better or what didn't I do? And think of it that way. So speaking of your email list, um, you know, currently your figure is sitting around 25,000 email subscribers, um, which is super impressive. Um, how are you getting subscribers to your blog? Um, is that kind of your email list? Is that primarily how people are then purchasing your course or is it something else? That's primarily the way that people are purchasing the course uh, for sure. So the email list is really, really important for me. And one of the best pieces of advice I got was to start collecting emails early on. And so I started very early on, I think just with the traditional pop-up or whatever, and it didn't do particularly well, obviously. Uh, but then it really, it started to pick up once I, I created an ebook about, um, it was like unusual tips and tricks for, for Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it took me two whole weeks to write and put together. It was 80 odd pages. Um, I got some graphics done for it. So it was, it was quite a significant time effort wasn't sort of just a throwaway freebie and that's done pretty well that that for a year that was doing quite well and it got my email list up to a few thousand uh and so i saw how this whole lead magnet thing worked and so the next step actually was i'd seen other online course instructors do this uh there's a guy called wes boss who does javascript online courses and he has a gigantic audience and i think one of his most successful courses is this um, learn JavaScript in 30 days, which is free, and he'd got tons of signups. And I thought, wow, that's that's such a good idea to do a really high quality course. Yeah, take the hit and make it free because <clears throat> you know you could charge money for it and make some money in the short term. But the long term view is, if I create a really high quality asset uh, and then make it free, it's the gift that keeps on giving because it'll bring people in, people sign up, and then there'll be opportunities further down the line for them to buy other courses that I make. And so in I'm trying to think, the end of 2017, I created the, this course about formulas in Google Sheets, advanced formulas in 30 days, I called it. <laughs> you can see where I got the idea from. And it was 30 video lessons teaching you 30 different formulas and techniques in Google Sheets. And, and you know, that's been the big driver for, of the email growth. I like it. It's a great idea. So Ben, shifting gears a bit now, um, you you alluded to it earlier, you and your family uh, recently made a pretty big lifestyle change. You moved from your home in Florida to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, which I checked, um, has a population of 286 people. <laughs> what yeah. motivated this decision? It was funny, actually, we were sitting with some friends in Florida and we told them we were moving here and they hadn't heard of it. And they said, oh, you know, how many people live there? I think my wife said 286 and they said 286k. <laughs> They're sort of waiting for us to. We said no, just 286. It's actually it's about a thousand people because there's there's a town that's sort of joined right right up to it. That's called Bolivar that has another you know almost a thousand in. Uh, but we were so I'm I can work I work from home so to me as long as I've got a good internet connection I can I can be productive and do my work. 
and we'd been down to Florida for my my wife's work, but she'd finished. She'd come to the end of that contract, so she was sort of free agent again, to, so we could effectively move wherever we liked. And so we'd spent some time looking at all of the um, you know best towns in the U.S. to live and best mountain towns, and we really wanted to get back to. Um, we wanted somewhere east coast because it's where my wife's family is from, um, somewhere near the mountains. Uh, preferably if we could be near to DC because her sister lives lives there. And yeah, we just, we'd been here before actually. It's a really pretty historic old town with the Appalachian Trail that goes right through it. Uh, so great, great hiking, great cycling, all that kind of stuff. And we've been here about three months and yeah, it's going well. We're enjoying it. It's nice. That's awesome. I've got a little bit of jealousy um, because I was reading on your blog that you've got a bunch of trails leading essentially from your house out into the woods for running. Yeah, that's right. And so I have a, probably about uh, let's see, 300 yards of, of road to run along until I can jump onto the a little connector trail that goes onto the Appalachian Trail. And then I can just run. So I can run there. So, so what's happened though, the, the irony is that I've gone from all of the flat running in Florida to suddenly running up and down these hills, <laughs> which was really hard at first. I'm like, more um, walking up and running down. But um, my shins and knees have just said, right, that's too much too quickly. Um, so I'm sort of actually having to scale back the running a little bit at the moment. And, um, but I'm doing, I'm doing some cycling instead. So it's all good. Nice. I love it. All right. Well, Ben, the last question I have for you, um, what would you say has been the best investment you've ever made in the context of growing your business? This could be in the form of time, money, tools, products, services, or otherwise. So I think for me, the best investment has been just uh, investing in my email list. And there's a few things, just sort of subcategories of that. One is we talked about those courses I created, that free course. I've done a second free course now that are really, really high quality assets. And that's helped the growth tremendously. And then the second biggest thing I've done, or, or the other big thing I've done for the email list is just I publish a newsletter every Monday at 11 o'clock with us with a Google Sheets tip for the week. And so now I've been doing that for about a year now and it's sort of all my email open rates have gone up and up and up um, and I get lots of nice feedback from people and it's been just a really positive um, impact on the community and the business. So I think that's really helped as well, just doing something regularly uh, that's just giving, just purely just giving value back to the community. I love it. Great advice. All right, well, Ben, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening today where they can go to learn more about you and everything you're up to? Sure. So everything can be found on my site, which is benlcollins.com. And that's the same. My Twitter handle is the same, benlcollins. Um, and they're probably the best two places. Beautiful. All right. Well, Ben, thank you again for joining us. Thanks very much, Ryan. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.